Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Okay. Good. All right. Doing all right. Check pulse alive. We're good. All right. Well, if you're just joining us, uh, we are in the midst of a fall vision series where we're looking at some of the challenges of our culture and asking, what is Jesus' vision for the church to provide a hopeful sign of the kingdom right in the midst of all of those challenges. And then we're looking at some practices of uh, Jesus' own spiritual life where we see, and these things that we see in followers of Jesus throughout the years that help us orient us toward his way of life. Uh, how many of you were following along kind of in our community guide and you finished the life graph week one? You got to that week one inventory and grace and you're just like, nailed it. I am the most gracious person I know. Probably don't, don't feel that way. Uh, my encouragement to you is just, you know, just, just stick with it there. On the docket for this morning is becoming a community of rest in a culture of exhaustion. And the way that we get there is through the practice of Sabbath. And if you were around a few winters ago, we did a, a seven-week series on the practice of Sabbath. So this is some familiar territory I want to invite you this morning to open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to anchor there, but I'm going to do something a little bit different in that I want to start our time together by kind of stitching together a mosaic of the Sabbath from the, the Scriptures. And we're going to begin at the beginning in Genesis and the story of how it all started. So Genesis 2, verses 2 through 4. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so that on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth, when they were created, when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Exodus 28 Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Mark 2, 27. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Luke 23, 52 through 54. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then they took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. And then Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Friends, this is all the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now, Almighty God, we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would come upon us so that we would hear these words, that we would be drawn to you, the word made flesh, the one who promises rest for our souls. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 
Kawhi Leonard is one of the best NBA players around. He made headlines before the 2019 season for requesting a trade from the San Antonio Spurs, where up to that point he had spent seven years of his career. He had been nursing a quad injury for four of those years that had him miss the entire 2018 season. And while the team doctors for the Spurs cleared him to play, He knew his own body. He knew that something wasn't quite right. He knew that if he were to continue to play, he might risk being re-injured. And so he kind of resented their their efforts. They, They felt like the doctors weren't taking him seriously, asking him to kind of just push through the injury. So he went to the Toronto Raptors under a strict load management policy, which meant that he would play 60 of the 82 games that season in the regular, in the regular season. So he could allow his body some time to recover. And as you can imagine, this was met with all kinds of controversy, a ton of criticism from talking heads on SportsCenter to regular fans in the stands. They, the criticism was all basically the same thing. Look, dude, you're getting paid to win, not getting paid to sit on the bench. But Leonard was unfazed by this. He said, look, my health is my priority. If I want to win just as much as anybody else. And if I am rested, that is going to make us a better team. Strategy paid off. Raptors punched a ticket to the finals that year, the first in franchise history. Now, their eventual opponent, the Golden State Warriors, had a very different strategy when it came to their players. They played each of their starters every game for the maximum amount of minutes that they could. They held to this old concept that when you hit the wall, what you need to do is break through the wall. You come to the point of exhaustion, and then you keep going, and you find your second wind. Game five of the finals, all-star Kevin Durant for the Warriors plays through an injury tears his Achilles tendon. Game six, all-star Clay Thompson for the Warriors plays through an injury, drops 30 points before tearing his ACL. Kawhi Leonard rests. The Raptors win 4-2. The thing is, the moral of the story, no matter how young you are, no matter how strong you are, exhaustion and burnout are going to come find you. Pushing through exhaustion, though, isn't something that's just limited to to athletics. It has become the norm for how we live and how we work. In 2019, the World Health Organization included burnout for the first time in its international classification of diseases, defining it as a syndrome associated with chronic stress and exhaustion at work that goes unmanaged. Little did they know that a few months after publishing that report, people all over the world would be taking work home. Blurring the lines between the two beyond any sort of recognition. In 2021, that same organization found that that year, 750,000 people worldwide died that year alone from overwork that resulted in a stroke or heart attack. Meanwhile, the World Economic Forum noted in 2021 that workers in U.S. and Canada recorded the highest, highest daily levels of stress anywhere in the world. USA, we've got to be the best. This corresponds with a 2022 report from the American Psychological Association that found that burnout and stress in the United States were at an all-time high across all professions. So if you're feeling tired... It's not in your head. Chances are by now it is in your body, it is in your soul. 
The Berkeley psychologist Christine Maslach has been studying burnout for two decades and she says it consists of three stages. Exhaustion is the first one where you are physically and emotionally drained from being too tired for too long, from constantly trying to do your best all the time. And then comes cynicism, where you switch from doing your best all the time to just doing the bare minimum. In that stage, you you no longer believe that there's anything good or necessarily even anything really important about what you're doing or the organization that you are doing it with. Hence the proliferation of articles on quiet quitting that have been making the rounds in recent months. And then finally comes blame, where you start to feel negative about yourself. And you start asking questions like, why can't I handle this? Why can't I adult right now? What's wrong with me? Am I ever going to be good at anything again? Exhaustion sets in at the point where you can't go any further. That's when it's time to call the team doctor. But burnout, according to Maslach, is when you reach that point and you just keep on going for weeks, for months, or years. And that's when you start to tear your body. And the thing is, we all know people for whom going is, is nonstop. Pushing past the point of exhaustion is kind of a mantra for life. Maybe some of us are those people. In an article for BuzzFeed News, a writer Helen Peterson captured the sentiment with a rhetorical question and answer session with herself where she asked, why am I so burned out? And then answered, because I've internalized this idea that I should be working all the time. Well, why have I internalized that idea? Because everything and everyone in my life has reinforced it explicitly and implicitly since I was young. We know what it's like to have this need to feel productive, to get our our sense of our value and our worth by how many appointments we have on our calendar, by how many things we can check off on our to-do list. Author William Powers recounts this conversation that he had with a friend who was learning English, and this friend was a recent immigrant to the United States and developed the habit of responding to the question, how are you, with a broad smile and busy, very busy. And when Powers pressed about this response, it turns out that this, this friend had simply concluded from her time in the United States that this was the cultural idiom, the equivalent in her language of saying, I'm fine, thank you. Like she didn't even know what the words meant necessarily. She just knew that that's what you say when somebody asks you, how are you doing? You say, I'm busy. And we gotta get that, right? Busyness creates this strange sort of social pressure to conform. If someone were to ask you the question, uh, you know, how are you doing? And, And then they were to say, I'm busy, how are you? And you were to say, not me. I am remarkably available all the time. Like, you start to feel like, you know, and people would probably treat you like, there's probably a reason for that. All this is to say we live in a culture of exhaustion. Add to all of that, the political season we are in, where it feels like both sides are playing a kind of Jenga with democracy, waiting for the whole thing to topple. Tired isn't a feeling in this culture that we kind of dip into from time to time. 
and then snap back. It is a way of life for us. And I would suggest that a good definition of the kind of exhaustion that I'm talking about is this, the point where your soul can no longer sustain your pace of life. The place where your inner life, the the most true part of you, cannot bear the weight of the responsibilities, of the pressures, of the burdens that are placed on you. Burnout happens when you reach that place, and then you do nothing about it. And that's a place where a lot of us have made a permanent residence. It turns out, just maybe, that the desire to be killing it in every sphere of life is actually killing us instead. Spiritual writer Henry Nouwen described his own experience of exhaustion like this. I woke up one day with the realization that I was living in a very dark place and the term burnout was a convenient psychological translation for a spiritual death. Spiritual death, maybe that's where all of this leads. And while I don't think any of us would freely choose it, we we nonetheless kind of feel this sort of sense of resignation about the increasingly anti-human ways that we are forced to live and work. And to all of this exhaustion and all of this burnout and all of this spiritual death, In the midst of all the cultural coming and going, in the midst of all the hustle and the grind, the writer of Hebrews says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Into our cultural epidemic of exhaustion, the multiple malfunctions of our time, there remains still in front of us a rest for the people of God and not just any rest. Sabbath rest, the practice that we see in the life of Jesus. Friends, let this be medicine to your soul. Now, admittedly, Sabbath is kind of this mixed concept out there in the kind of cultural imagination, right? And for, for a lot of us, Sabbath just conjures up a list of restrictions, right? It's, it's you know, no shopping, no drinking, no cards, no sports, no movies, essentially no play, Right? This, this time-honored you know, tradition of do no work has become have no fun. And so the practice becomes another burden for stressed-out people who are already struggling with time rather than this life-affirming, life-giving practice that Jesus seemed to have in mind. Jesus practiced the Sabbath all the time. And, and, it's, and it's kind of ironic that this is the case given that all throughout the scriptures, Sabbath is linked to the character of God. It is First rooted in the rhythm of creation, the seventh day, the apex of creation is a day of rest. In Genesis, we read that on that seventh day, God rested from all of his labor. And a number of Jewish scholars point out that the seventh day is, in fact, the culmination of creation. The only thing created to be made holy by God. And then the humans who bear God's image who are created on that sixth day, then awaken the first day of life to a day of rest. We are created, in other words, in the biblical story, to live from rest, not created to work for rest. And then later on, we have in the exodus of Egypt, where it was 
foundation, the Sabbath rest to the people's identity. Where God's people, they had been slaves under Pharaoh and God rescued them. And he, he commands them to refuse the constant temptation to be enslaved by the internal Pharaoh. Telling them to work more, to do better, to try harder. Sabbath was to be for the people. A kind of weekly day of independence. Which is why all throughout the Gospels, Jesus brings hope and healing on the Sabbath. We are going through the Gospel of Mark. We have seen already that a ridiculous proportion of the miracles of healing that Jesus does take place on the Sabbath. Because for Jesus, Sabbath was a sign of the promised rest, the eternal shalom of the kingdom that was breaking into the world. And so in Matthew's Gospel... When Jesus says to his disciples, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The very next story that Matthew tells is the story of the Sabbath and healing that takes place. And then Jesus follows it up with the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. As if to say the rest for your souls that Jesus provides is connected to this Sabbath rest. And so by the time we get to Hebrews, we hear these words, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And here's what I want you to hear in this. For those of you who are weary, who are exhausted, there is woven into the warp and woof of creation a rest for your souls. Into the, into the fabric of creation itself, into the fabric of the new creation, there is a rest that you can enter into, that you can build your life around, that you can set your watch to. And this rest will point you to the rest that you really need. It is rest with Jesus. Sabbath is the practice that points us to the reality of that rest that Jesus brings. It's the, the rest that we point to every week when we come to this table, when we proclaim his dying and his rising. And so in a culture of exhaustion, becoming the kind of community that frames our life around this weekly rhythm of rest and work it might just be the most subversive countercultural practice that we can imagine. And if this is a new idea for you in our community guide this week, there are some suggestions for how to get started on this Sabbath practice. But I want to frame the rest of our time by just talking around two things that Sabbath frees us from in a culture of exhaustion. And that's that Sabbath gives us rest from work and from worry. And two things that Sabbath frees us for as a community of rest and that is it frees us to wonder and to worship it frees us from work and worry it frees us for wonder and worship so first we rest from work the word sabbath or shabbat in hebrew means literally to cease to stop to, to stop your striving to stop all the work that you do. Most literally, most specifically, it is this call to stop working. It's a call first and foremost to take a 24-hour period of time, one day a week to cease labor, to cease even thinking about labor, to stop seeing time as a commodity, to say no to the culture of exhaustion. And it's not just our paid work, it's our unpaid work as well. The, the housework that we have to do, the dishes that need to be done, let them pile up in the sink, let the phone calls go to voicemail so that we can be free from the tyranny of productivity. 
The author Richard Biotis writes, Sabbath is not just rest from making things. It's rest from the need we have to make something of ourselves. It's this kind of stake in the ground against measuring our worth and our value as humans by what we can get done. And ironically, all the data says that after about 50 or 55 hours of work, productivity plummets. I mean, it's, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around this, but the, the difference between doing the whole Elon Musk working 80 hours a week and then bragging about it on Twitter and somebody working 50 hours a week is almost non-existent. In fact, there is an article in the New York Times just a few weeks ago where this six-month experiment from 70 companies all throughout London who found that productivity has not suffered at all from going to a four-day, 30-hour work week. And Microsoft found something similar in 2019. Here's the kicker. Not only did productivity remain strong for workers, it actually went up by 40%. That's what nobody expected. And all that is to say is that Sabbath names the reality that activity is not the same thing as productivity. But more than that, the deeper reality is that God's people have practiced the Sabbath to remind ourselves that that is not how we measure our value and our worth anyway. And the reality is, we all know this. There is always more to do than we can do. Always. There's always going to be one more email to write. There's always going to be one more, you know, set of dishes to wash. There's always going to be one more deal to close, one more project to complete, one more book to read. Sabbath is simply an invitation to embrace the reality that you cannot do it all. Everything on this side of eternity remains an unfinished symphony and that is good and that is how it is meant to be so that you can enjoy each day as a gift. So first we rest from work and second we rest from worry. Stopping for 24 hours one day a week frees us from our treasured illusions that we are indispensable. Can I get an amen? I mean, think about it. Every single time you go to sleep, you are making this acknowledgement that the world is going to continue for a period of time without your input. And it will be okay. This is a posture of trust. We rest and God begins his work. We wake up and we are initiated into the work that God has already started. Now, don't get me wrong. This takes time. It takes discipline to cultivate this. Uh, the discipline of setting aside thoughts of work even for a day. It's hard at first. I'll say some more about that later. But like any practice, it gets easier over time. I'll tell you part of my story is that I, I Sabbath from Friday evening until Saturday evening, which means I'm working on my sermons on Friday late into the day. And the problem when I first started out doing this is that uh, back when I started as a pastor, sometimes I would have my message, my message on my mind Friday night, and then it would be there on my mind into the Saturday morning, right? I'd wake up and I would find the temptation and I'd fight the temptation to work on my sermon and make it that much better. Because on Sunday, 
I had to perform for my life. I had to show up. I had to do well so that people would know Jesus. So that, you know, they would be, they would be close to God. So that, you know, they would, they would trust Jesus more and more. They would thank me for bringing them close to Jesus. I had to work hard so that people would know God because I was only as good in my head as I was in my last message. This is what I thought. But I had to practice Sabbath in part to learn that the story that I was telling myself was not true. I am not holding the world together, turns out. I'm not holding the church together or even the sermon together. Jesus is holding the world together. And so if I was going to show up and be in the right space, I had to do it from rest, not for rest. So I I started this little practice of writing down my thoughts in a journal, my worries, my fears, offer them to God before I am with my family on Friday. I will come back to the sermon and patch up anything that needs to be patched up Saturday night after 24 hours. And over time, it's allowed me to grow in this sense of trust that God is in control. God will provide. Sabbath allows us to rest from work, to rest from worry so that we can be free to wonder. After God finished the work of creation, he took a look at everything that he had made and said, it is good. And Sabbath is about then entering into that goodness. It's not just about saying no to work and to worry. It's about saying yes to joy and beauty and wonder and delight to feed your soul on the good things that life has to offer. And it's such a radically different way of doing things. And part of the reason that we are in a culture of exhaustion is that we suffer from this sort of delight deficiency, particularly in our digital age where the devices in our pockets strain us to look negatively at the world and at each other. Sabbath is a way of retraining our minds to see the goodness, the beauty of God, that the the earth will be sustained if we do nothing. And it's shot through every aspect of creation, through through art, through poetry, through a good story, a beautiful piece of music, a time with friends. I, I love how the, the spiritual writer Richard Rollheiser puts it. He says that true restfulness is a form of awareness, a way of being in life. It is living ordinary life with a sense of ease, gratitude, appreciation, peace, and prayer. We are restful when ordinary life is enough. Sabbath is a day for taking joy in ordinary life and the beauty that was always there. Yesterday, we got a chance to walk out to the Chattahoochee with the dogs, let the kids ride bikes around, let the dogs roam around. Uh, Jill and I could just enjoy the breeze, talk with each other. Uh, It was lovely. Afterward, we got some yogurt, we cruised home. Now, it wasn't perfect. Joe got stung by a yellow jacket like right off the gate, right right when we got there. This thing just kind of made a little like beeline for her. Kids got bored pretty fast. They didn't get to the end of the trail. Dogs barked at every bike that went past them. It wasn't perfect, but it was good. Richard Foster calls joy a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. And I love that. Sabbath is a day for choosing joy. It's a day for worship, for singing, for prayer. It is a day for laughter. 
but relaxing into the company of people who love you, who know you, who point you toward God's love for you, the depth of that love that he created you to experience joy. For those of you who have kids, it's a day of saying yes to them, of, of delighting in them, celebrating whatever age it is that they're, they're in. I was just talking with, uh, with John Fries after the first service, and he was telling me that you know, he's at the age where his kids are getting into music. And I was like, oh, that's such a fun time. My kid, you know, Graham is getting into that too. He like, came up to me the other day. He's like, hey, Dad, you ever heard of this band, Weezer? I'm like, bro, listen to the Blue Album. It'll blow your mind. So much fun. Last Sabbath frees us to worship. For so many of us, particularly if you were raised in a Christian home, when we think of Sabbath, like this, this is what we think of, like this, what we're doing right now. But I mention worship last because I think it's really only after your heart has been freed from work and worry and, and given the space to, to wander in God's goodness that you really are able to enter into a posture where worship is what you crave, that is what you really long for. One of the deepest ways that God restores our souls is simply by putting us in this place of worship and wonder with others. Those are the parts of us that get lost during the, the midweek when all we're doing is focusing on the value of productivity. So here's what I want to stress as we're kind of coming to an end and how we, how we practice this together. If Sabbath is about arranging your life around this, this pattern woven into creation of rest and emerging from rest and going into work so that one day a week you can get off of the treadmill of exhaustion, well, that means it's going to take some time to get ready. There is a discipline to rest that is hard work. It's a work of counterformation against all of the currents of our culture. If you, if you lean into this, if you, if you take this seriously, you will find all kinds of ways and all sorts of conspiracies to drag you away from it. Whether that is your, 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 the work that is left undone or the things that you want to buy on Amazon, whatever it is. I mean, everyone loves Sabbath. Everyone loves the idea of, of being down with resting, with being outside, with, with joy, with being with people I love. Everyone is down to that. But to actually put it into practice is more like detoxing from a drug. Start to feel your skin crawl. You'll see babies crawling on the ceiling. Train spotting, no? They got that in the first, okay, fine. Your mind's gonna fixate on all of the things that you should be doing, that you think you ought to be doing, that are calling for you. That's how you know that it's working. That's how the internal Pharaoh gets drowned in the sea. I was listening to a, a podcast this week on spiritual practices and, and one of the speakers noted that every time you change out of a habitual behavior into a new one, you experience what educational theorists call a J-curve. And it's called a, a J because of the shape, uh, meaning like you think about how a J starts and then it dips down before it goes back up. Uh, and then it goes, you know, goes back to normal, and then it goes even higher. It's the same thing when you start any kind of new practice, whether that's, you know, like uh, unicycling or, or playing the banjo or practicing Sabbath. Those are real good examples, I know. 
<laughs> but often your felt experience when you start something like that, you'll immediately go down. Your affect, your, your mood, your ability to do the thing will go down before it, and you're going to start actually to feel worse. It, it's painful. It's disorienting. It's uncomfortable. And a lot of times at the bottom of the curve, that's when people pull the ripcord and want out. Like, no, I did this thing because I want to feel better about my life with God, not worse. But what's needed at the bottom of that curve is this period of adjustment to sit with God through the pain, through the disorientation. It, and, and I want to stress this too. It takes a community to come alongside you before you get back to normal. Sabbath is not something that is meant to be done by alone. It is a practice in community. This is something I encourage you to talk about in your community groups this week if you are in one. We were, as we were driving back from uh, the river yesterday, we, we drove through Midtown and uh, noticed several Orthodox Jews walking on the Sabbath day. It takes a community. But it takes people to come alongside you before you get back to normal, then before you can actually feel like you're getting better. And so I just, I, I just want to normalize that. Practicing Sabbath isn't easy. We need each other to do it well. I mean, for those of you who had high hopes like 18 months ago when we, we talked about this practice for seven weeks, you know, you had this thought, or, or even last, last spring or the summer with prayer and hospitality, and you had this thought, like, I'm going to start seeing immediate results. I'm going to do all the things I'm going to greet the world with patience. I'm just going to become this totally relaxed and rested person. Every week my life is going to be joyful and life-giving and my kids are going to love this. And then you do it. And it's hard. Well, that's, that's just how it is. And sometimes you're not going to be able to set the time apart. Life comes at you. But there is a difference when you do. So my encouragement, start where you are. Think of it this way, playing, uh, Sabbath is like playing the scales that is to the concert performance of our life and it's how we practice for the best moments of our lives. It's how we turn our exhaustion over to God and receive his rest. In a, in a moment, the band's gonna come back up and uh, we're gonna come to the table and we're remembering, every, as we do every single week when we come to this table, the body and blood of Jesus that are the, the, represented in this poured out cup and in this broken bread. And one of the things that is often overlooked when we tell the story between the cross of Good Friday and the empty tomb of Easter Sunday, there's the Sabbath in between. Between the cross of Friday where Jesus labored for the forgiveness of our sins and the empty tomb of Sunday where he began the work of new creation, there is the Sabbath where Jesus' body lay rested in the tomb. The passion of the cross and before the glory of the resurrection, there is a deep rest woven into the fabric, not just of creation, but of the new creation. And from this place of rest, Jesus was led to the glory of Easter in which victory over death was revealed. It has often been you know, stated that we, our willingness to enter into rest depends on what we think we're going to find when we get there. And all I want to submit to you is you are going to find the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls.
there remains for the people of God then a Sabbath rest. Let us make every effort to enter into that rest. Friends, let us pray. Almighty God, we acknowledge that we are creatures of limitless desire. We are restless. We ask that you would teach us that our hearts will find their rest in you and what you have done through the grace that you have made possible through the cross. Father, amid all of the things that we are called to lay down, maybe the hardest one for us is this idea that we have to strive, we have to earn, we have to make something of ourselves rather than trusting that you have already made us in your image and you are actively at work restoring that image in us. Father, condition us to the rhythms of grace that come when we rest and trust that you are at work. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.